1964, Sean Connery teamed up with director Guy Hamilton to take on one of Bond's most daring missions yet against a rich madman plotting to raid Fort Knox. His name? Goldfinger. Today's episode of Podcasters Assemble is dedicated to the memory of Honor Blackman. She was 94. Podcasters Assemble. It's a tale as old as time. Boy wear a seagull hat. Boy explodes drug lab. Boy gets girl. Boy looks deeply into girl's eyes. Boy sees reflection of previously hidden assailant. Boy uses girl as human shield. We haven't even reached the intro, and this movie is already filled with action, intrigue, male gaze, and swagger. Welcome to Goldfinger. Good evening, 003. The following is for your ears only, and is classified above top secret by Her Majesty's Secret Service. Our contact with the We Can Make This Work, probably, podcast network intercepted an encrypted audio message. For this season, the podcast network is looking to recruit field operatives from around the world to reminisce about the Bond movies and a countdown to the latest film in the franchise, No Time to Die. Your primary objective is to infiltrate podcasters assemble by recording and uploading your submissions at probablywork.com, utilizing a two-way communications device with a built-in microphone, the latest from QBranch. For a full mission report, go to probablywork.com. We're all counting on you, 003. Hi, this is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Otter Co. Hello, fans. My name is Jasmine. This is MC from Best Animated Shows Ever So Far. Hi, my name is Bill. I'm from the Tarviran Podcast. Hey, gang. This is Devin from Pretend Radio. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History. I'm Megan Aki of Significant Otter Co. This is Troidal Power from the Best Animated Shows Ever so far yo this is Corey torgerson photographer film nut and podcast hopper today i'm talking about the third james bond film and this is goldfinger 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 dun dun Dun-dun. Dun-dun. Goldfinger was the third Bond film, but the seventh Bond novel. Ah, James Bond. Okay, so this movie is a freaking roller coaster ride of the best of James Bond pop culture hits. Goldfinger was my introduction to both James Bond and the spy genre as a whole, probably before I hit double digits. So I know I already talked about this one quite a bit on the first episode, but I really like Goldfinger. For me, I feel like I'm just now catching on to the classic moments that really make a Bond film. Bond. James Bond. Oh, come on. I had to say it. We're talking about Goldfinger. Goldfinger is one of the classics, right? It's one of the standards for Bond films. I know this is like kind of an older movie, and it's definitely a weird one on a couple levels. A franchise that has gone on since the 60s and still is going strong to this day. I don't think it's necessarily one of the best, but it's one of the most iconic. Third in the film series, I feel this one finally sets the tone for what a Bond film is. Neat gadgets, exciting car chases, beautiful women getting murdered left and right. It doesn't really matter how old you are or what decade you grew up in. Everyone knows James Bond. The debonair, ass-kicking, always gets the girl or girls in many of the films. Spy we know and love today. This is Serious Spy Business. 
Um, so watching Gold Figure, it was kind of funny because I didn't really realize that the Austin Powers, um, I think Gold Digger? No, Gold Member. Yeah. Gold Digger, though. That's, that's Kanye West. I didn't really realize that it was actually based on a Bond movie. So that was kind of like interesting to actually start to understand some of the references in the Austin Powers movies. And so I'm also planning on going back and seeing those and understanding like what they're picking up on and everything. It's got the lady painted in gold that everybody knows so well. It's got Odd Job in it. It's got Fort Knox, I guess, counts as iconic. We also get the phrase martini, shaken, not stirred. First time Bond says that. I really enjoy this movie. It's got a lot of the trappings that make a good Bond movie. The locales from Miami to Sweden. The gadgets, like I've mentioned before, there's so many in this one. Now, I've seen a few James Bond movies over the years. And never really watched them as a kid. So today I'm talking about Goldfinger. And I just watched it for the first time. Um, so like my first thing was, oh my god, James Bond is super rapey. If there's one thing I could change about this movie, it's a couple of those scenes, honestly. Anyway, this is one that I know people love. And it's always talked about. And it's always, you know, if there's a Bond marathon, Goldfinger's absolutely going to be in the list. And I loved this movie when I was younger. And the more I've watched the Bond movies, the less I like Goldfinger. I mean, granted, like, our generation had Fifty Shades of Grey, which, by the way, is total Twilight fan fiction, like, literally. But, you know, even with Fifty Shades of Grey, there were problematic things when um, coming up with consent. It's so cringy, you know? I mean, it's obviously of its time, but it's not okay, without a doubt. And so, like, one of the things with the James Bond movies, and granted, like, I'm looking at this from my perspective, particularly as a black and Asian feminist, that there wasn't really, like, a verbal consent going on. Like, yes, James Bond, I appreciate that you're pushing me around. Like, it was very much a let me just grab you and let me just do what I want. I'm not here to give you a review. There are plenty of reviews out there if you haven't seen it. What I am here to talk about is espionage in the 60s compared to today and how things have changed. This movie has some insane moments. James Bond is a terrible spy. He introduces himself with his full name and pisses off the bad guy like three times in the movie before he even knows what's going on. Again, terrible spy. Bond kicks and slays ass through this over-the-top adventure and even showed most audience the laser for the first time. He starts with a cold open and a wetsuit-covered tuxedo, and ends with him and a girl in, well, not a boat, but near water. So right off the bat, I gotta mention, this movie has one of the best cold opens in the entire franchise. Now, we start off with Bond, uh, you know, doing some sort of infiltration mission to blow shit up, as you do. Now, the opening's really good. It's a little on the campy side, but it totally works. You got Bond uh, sneaking through the water. The opening has Bond swimming up someplace in like a scuba suit, and he's wearing a tuxedo underneath it, which is just classic. He's got this scuba gear on with this like fake pelican thing for some reason. Bond's seagull head mask and wetsuit. It's, you know, you, you just got to roll with it. Now, any good spy needs a good disguise, whether you're ass-crushing Bond or a computer hacker in your mom's basement. The same rules apply. 
The great thing about this is that after Bond fools everyone by gluing a plastic sequel to his head is that he takes off his wetsuit to reveal a perfectly pressed white tux and red carnation intact. Uh, I have to I have just want to point out, he's wearing shoes. Like, you know, we get the whole wetsuit thing later where he strips out of the wetsuit and he's in his like his, his lovely white tux and it's un, it's completely dry, but when he gets out of the wetsuit, he's wearing shoes. They would be absolutely soaked. You know, that is really inappropriate footwear for what he's trying to do. I just, just want to point out to people, you know, not, don't get your shoes wet, man. Wear that leather. Expensive, too. I'm not sure if they had dry suits in the 60s, but I won't get too picky about this one. But yeah, he plants some bombs and then he shows up at a bar. He zips off his wetsuit and he's got this nice, this amazing white tailored suit with like a red rose. To this day, I still think it's the best Bond outfit. And I love that in Spectre, they kind of give like a callback to it. I always thought, you know, Bond should be in a white suit more often. Now let's blow shit up. <laughs> oh no, more belly dancers. Where did they come from? Not we've, we've not had enough of those so far in the Bond movies, have we? Yeah, I know. Definitely didn't have enough belly dancers in uh, from Russia with Love, so let's take some more. Then he takes a lady to bed, but oh no, she's an assassin, and he figures that out because he sees another assassin's reflection in her eyeball, and then spins her around so she gets knifed in the back. Wait, that's Austin Powers. I know. Austin Powers is good, but it is funny how much, like, it's just one-to-one sometimes. So anyway, he, he finishes, like, dispatching the henchman by throwing him in the bathtub and, like, tossing a radio in there with him or something and electrocuting him. Mm, electric baths. Shocking. And then he goes, shocking. Positively shocking. Best part of the opener? Shocking. Positively shocking. That's just a standard one-liner. I love it. Oh, and James Bond has a duck on his head when he's swimming in the wetsuit. That's pretty funny. So good. Like, James Bond's quips are just the best. So not really much of a... Um a spy tool or a hacking tool or you know espionage but the heat lamp this scene it's in the beginning of the movie uh, not really a spy tool but if you need to get out of a bind in a hurry throwing it in a bathtub it should work out all right and the uh, special effects on this were were great so uh, thumbs up on that one and then you get the theme song, right? Listen, like I said, this might not be my favorite movie, but this is like one of the best songs of all time, not just Bond songs. It's great. Goldfinger. Goldfinger. He's the man. The man with the minus touch. He's touched your... So anyway, so... The theme song for this movie was pretty awesome, especially compared to the first two movies in the series. It gives away the villain motives and some stuff. Oh my god, the song for this film just elevates the whole thing to the next level. Like, this is it now. We've had two films in a row. Very, very good. You know, sets the scene for what Bond's going to be in the future. Now, suddenly, here it is. Goldfinger. And what's fun about it, I realized, is that, like, From Russia With Love actually had the song From Russia With Love in the movie. Goldfinger, like, every musical cue in Goldfinger is... Goldfinger. Every time something's happening on screen, there's some version of da da da, just like in different 
keys or tempos. I don't really know enough about music to explain it, but it's always that song just shifted up just a little bit because that song's just so good. This is my favorite intro song. It's a pretty great title sequence um, and the music's gorgeous. The lyrics are memorable, but the lyrics are ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I get it. He loves gold. Yep. It's a little on the nose. Oh, man, as I just said, like, you know, the opening credits with the Shirley Bassey music is just incredible. You just, you know, you, you know, you're watching the Bond film now. This is it. This is the beginning of everything. And you're not going to forget this film anytime soon. Shirley Bassey just nails the vocals. It sounds exotic. It even feels like it was composed very spyish, with the instruments receding while she sings, returning when she breaks, the two only meeting at the finale. With a Shirley Bassey track that is played throughout the film to really good effect. And how can you ever forget this film once you've heard that song? You know, I think there are probably lots of people out there who have heard the song who don't know of the film, but will know the song like nothing else. It's just an absolute joy. Well done, Shirley Bassey, and well done to the uh, James Bond team who put that together. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Goldfinger. Bow, bow, bow. The bad guy turns up right at the beginning. You know, we didn't get to see Dr. No to almost right at the end. Straight away, Bond meets Goldfinger. And Goldfinger is uh, playing a shitty game of cards. I think Goldfinger was a genius, but in like a weird way. The villain's name is Ark Goldfinger. For those who didn't catch it all, here's a little extra comedy gold for you. The titular villain's first name also begins with gold. AU, Auric, is the periodic symbol for gold. You can also see AU on his Rolls Royce. Speaking of, is it just me or does Goldfinger remind anyone else of Donald Trump? Anyone? You know, he's a cheating bastard. I love that the plot begins very simple and realistic. Someone might be doing something illegal, and the Bank of England wants confirmation. That's it. Done. No world domination, just a little bit of illegal smuggling. There's Goldfinger's ridiculous plot involving Operation Grand Slam. The powerful tycoon, or Goldfinger, has initiated Operation Grand Slam, a chasmoclitic scheme to raid Fort Knox and obliterate the world economy. Which is basically to set off a nuke at Fort Knox in order to irradiate all of the nation's supply of gold, which will then make the value of his own gold go up. James Bond, armed with his specially equipped Aston Martin, must stop the plan by overcoming several outrageous adversaries. In theory, it's it's not a completely terrible idea, but in practicality, just the fact that he's attacking the United States on its soil and killing American soldiers, he'd basically be picking a fight with Uncle Sam, and I feel like he would have way bigger problems after the fact than it would be worth. Like, like yeah, you're the richest man on the planet, but now you're also enemy number one of the most powerful military on the planet. Then again, uh, you know, a lot of American politicians uh, seem to be bought and paid for by corporations, so who knows? This watch around, I gained such a greater respect for Goldfinger. He's very practical, knows what he wants, and only puts on a show when it benefits him. He doesn't even want the world, he just wants to increase the value of what he has. After watching a few tryouts for the role, I'm convinced Gert Froba is the only person who could be this character. So 
So Bond has finished up his mission in the Caribbean somewhere. I, I don't remember exactly where he was at the start, but he heads to Miami. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Miami, South Beach, bringing heat. <laughs> oh yes, welcome to Miami people. I could go into a nice uh, Will Smith rap, but uh, I'm not Will Smith. So, you know, welcome to Miami. And while he's there, he meets Felix Leiter, who has aged quite a bit since Dr. No, but whatever, that's fine. Now, Bond's clearly hanging out at a, um, you know, a really posh five-star five uh, five resort. And, you know, there's lots of uh, beautiful young people around. You know, cause to be honest with you, Bond, and especially uh, Felix, the guy who plays him, like an old man, he looks like he's really happy to be there. It's like, ooh, look at all these scantily clad women in their bikinis. But the thing I really want to point out is, did you see that guy doing that dive in the background into the swimming pool? Oh my god, that was like next that was like next level Tom Daly Olympic gold medal shit. And I think Tom Daly never even won a gold medal, but oh my god. If you watch this film again, watch out for the guy in the background diving into the pond. It is insane. Alright? What a dive, you know. Hats off to that man. You you stole that scene, right? And he's like, check out this guy, Goldfinger. He's such a prick. He's cheating at cards. Can you help me catch him? And so Bond goes up and figures out that Goldfinger's got like a lady in a bikini in a hotel room who's spying on the card game and giving him cues about what the cards are. And so he's like, listen here, Goldfinger, you're going to let this man win. Mm, 15,000? I think it's 15,000. Anyway, he lets him win back a bunch of money. And Bond's like, sweet, gonna have sex with this lady. Obviously, once the uh, card game has been foiled and Bond has got the uh, unlikely lass back to his um, apartment, as he does, he tells her he's got the best place to eat in town. And uh, it's his bed. And uh, yeah, that's... That's disgusting, Bond. Then, of course, Bond gets knocked out. Crotty drop. Boom. Bond gets whacked over the back of the head. And wakes up, and the lady's painted gold. And then, once he awakens, there's a golden jewel on your bed. Jill Masterson was a great know-nothing Bond girl. Very convoluted way to die, but memorable. It's been parried multiple times. I'm really interested in how they covered someone in gold paint, but did not ruin those perfectly white sheets. I'm not even sure someone can die this way, and without it getting gold paint on the sheets, it's crazy. Oddjob has a very delicate hand. Because she's suffocated. Skin suffocation. Is skin suffocation actually a thing? Skin suffocation is not a thing. Oh, man. Um, I'm sure everyone else is going to point out the fact that, you know, you can't actually die from paint suffocation on your skin. Uh, you know, it's not going to be good for you, but it's not going to kill you. But yeah, poor old Golden Jill. Poor old Golden Jill. It's known to happen to, to women in burlesque shows or something. No, it's not. You've made it up for this. But whatever. It's fine. It works. It's a terrifying image. The, the gold-painted woman lying dead on the bed. It's messed up. It's dark. Uh, seriously, I don't know where the writers came up with that. But this movie actually caused it to be like an old wives' tale. Like, people thought it was a thing for the longest time just because of this movie. And it's just so random. Like, what? <laughs> you know? Now, this movie had some parts that dig dragged down. First, the dinner scene when James shows off how much he knows about Brandy, and he gets his mission. So many other ways to do that, it just dragged it along. Especially since James had already learned about the villain and made him mad. Just skip ahead. Few things about the gold bar that he's given though. Now, 5,000 pounds in today's dollars would be worth about $127,807,081. However, 
someone on the internet, the fountain of knowledge that's always true, used measurements of the bar to estimate the amount of gold in it, and gave a cost of today around uh, $342,000. Regardless of the cost, remember the check to Bond by Goldfinger was made out to cash, so Bond just walked away with at least $100,000 to buy martinis or something. But, like, the government doesn't even know about it. That's fantastic. I think he did the same thing in Casino Royale later on. These days, destroying economies and stealing from banks doesn't take dashing Englishmen, amazing sport cars, and over-the-top fight scenes. No, today, it all... All it can take, really, is a computer and a bit of uh, tech know-how. Not as cool, right? It, it really isn't. This is one of the first James Bond movies where they really start bringing in the technology as props. Let's talk about the car. The Aston Martin DB5 with modifications. This movie has a couple of other important introductions, namely the Aston Martin DB5, which was pre-released just for this movie. The car makes this movie the best gadget possible. It's a shame Bond crashed it, but it's fantastic. Oil slick, smokescreen, everything sort of comes up. Smokescreen... Oil slick, bullet shield, machine guns, ejector seats, wheel cutters. Think he had a radio on it? I want one. Now, I've seen this car in person at the Spy Museum in DC, and it's a tiny car. I can only imagine Sean Connery being like crammed into it, and then like cameras and other stuff too. It's just crazy. Q's outdone himself uh, this time with the Aston Martin. Uh, it has a whole bunch of little tricks and things. Q Branch is here. We get to see Q Branch. Aw, what fun. You know, we got we got the briefcase from Q last movie, but this time we actually get to see all kinds of fun stuff in their, in their lab, including the Aston Martin DB5 with all kinds of fun gadgets, including an ejector seat. Now we got a nice... Uh, I love Q. <laughs> we get a nice thing where he goes... Don't touch the red button. It's an ejector seat. Now, surely, that's a good reason to touch it. What if I need to eject? I'm going to touch the red button. You know, probably don't do it now while you're inside. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Which actually brings me to my favorite um, uh, gadget as well, the ejector seat. An ejector seat? You're joking. I never joke about my work, 007. That I'm not sure if this is the first time something like that's been put into a movie or not, but um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, the the roof coming off and the guy holding a gun on Bond gets ejected out of the Aston Martin. And then he goes on this weird chase scene. You got the car chase with the DB5 with all the tricked out gadgets. Easily one of the most iconic Bond cars in the entire series. There's a car chase, and he uses all of the little gadgets in the car. Okay, so the DB5 is a great car, but this is the big chase scene in in this movie? I mean, there, there was the one with Tilly earlier, but now he's, like, driving through Goldfinger's plant and just crashes the car. It's not... it's not good. It's really kind of sad. This car chase inside the facility is the absolute best. This is literally the Benny Hill or even Scooby-Doo skit of car chases. Just going back and forth and in between things and just cars everywhere all over the screen. The DB5, Bond's famous car. This car was loaded with all kinds of uh, gadgets from 
radar, uh, revolving number plates to machine guns, tire slashers, like oil slicks and smoke machines and, you know, <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff. I don't know how practical that would be in a real life situation, but it makes for all kinds of wacky uh, situations in the movie and I personally love it. A part of it was kind of reminding me about how um, the 1960s Batman uh, really started to um, involve that campiness and they did like sort of the same thing with the gadgets and um, I'm, I'm not sure if like that was just like the trend with Hollywood at that time. So I know we've already talked a lot about the gadgets and the car and all that, but one of my favorite gadgets in this movie is actually Bond's GPS system. Uh, that was super high tech back then. I love the little nod to From Russia With Love when Ling in the airplane mentioned his attache case was destroyed upon inspection. Number two, homing devices. Bond was given two different homing devices in the beginning of the movie. There really isn't too much I can say about this one. Bugging devices are still used to this day to monitor locations, though for the most part I think they're used more through cell phones and car GPS than anything. But it still holds up, so I can't be, I really can't, you know, uh, split hairs on this one. job. Of course, you can't talk about Goldfinger without mentioning his number one henchman, Oddjob. I don't know why, but I've always kind of liked Oddjob. Everyone loves Oddjob. Old hat? Oddjob. Yeah. Oddjob. But you have to admit, he's pretty straightforward as a murderer. Oddjob may not be the deepest henchman, but he's one of my favorites. You know, he's got that hat with the uh, the metal rim. He doesn't really talk, which has sort of become a trope, like the silent enforcer. To have the Asian villains not really have speaking roles is very strange. One of my favorite characters uh, are both Q and Objob. Objob doesn't really speak, he just sort of grunts. Uh, and Q's like the complete opposite and needs to explain a whole bunch and keeps having jabs at Bond. I really enjoy both characters. Favorite henchman. I definitely have to show love for Oddjob. He's a man of few words. He has this awesome hat that kills multiple people throughout the movie, but it also kills him at the very end. He was also a part of one of my favorite parts in the movie when James Bond and Oddjob are basically having a gold throwing fight right in the middle of Fort Knox. He's the icon of style and danger, even before he throws his hat or crushes the golf ball. Only grunts, willing to sacrifice himself for the villain at the end, and he has a great gimmick with the hat and being strong and stuff. I'm pretty sure the next henchman to this level would end up being Jaws? So many movies from now. Now, I believe that this introduced Odd Job. Now, I could be wrong considering I've only seen a handful of this movie, but I think this is the first time Odd Job was shown. And uh, so this honorable mention is Odd Job's top hat. <laughs> and this is where we get the uh, one of the famous scenes of Odd Job throwing his hat <laughs> and it slices off the thing. Bob rightly says, hey, why not? Won't the owners of the golf club be pissed off? And Goldfinger's like, I own the golf club. This man has so much money. Why is he getting himself into all this trouble? Honestly, like, if I had that amount of money, I would not be bent on, you know, what we later out find out to be Goldfinger's plot. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, eh, I have enough. I'm all right. I've got this big ass golf course. I'm happy. 
So the first time I saw the odd hat, I just chuckled because I'm like, please tell me that this is where Xena got their idea for the like, the chakra, the whole like, boom, like, let me flick it at you and, and just like slice you. Like that, that to me was like a kind of like an interesting parallel. Oddjob's deadly metal bladed top hat probably wouldn't be my first choice of weapon for a job, but it was impressive. Although in the movie, he only hits three out of five targets, so yeah, maybe, maybe he should have worked a little harder. The first couple were pretty impressive, but you know, towards the end, well, we all know how that went. Inside Fort Knox, we see that Oddjob is not only dedicated to seeing this job through, but just how much of a brick house he is. I genuinely feel that the final fight was kept dull to ensure that Sean Connery wasn't injured. So Oddjob's actor is actually Japanese. <laughs> and this is something really common in Hollywood is where they will substitute um, one kind of Asian ethnicity for another. And I mean, like, granted, again, this is, you know, a snapshot of the time at the time in the 60s. So seeing that we have the Scottish villain, Goldfinger, and he's hiring slash working with what are called red communists from Korea and China. I mean, like, I'm not sure if they were doing it just to add the ominousness to um, Odd Hat. Odd job. I'm just going to call him Odd Hat because the hat. Oh, my God. We're going to get back to that in one moment. You know, I do kind of wish that Oddjob hadn't died. I feel like he should have been like a reoccurring henchman, kind of like what they did with Jaws. The second part that drags down the movie is the whole golf scene. It's funny that Bond is an ass on the course, but the scenes are too long. It's like watching golf on TV. <laughs> and then yes, they're playing golf. Um, uh, Bond is literally just following Goldfinger around, just trying to piss him off <laughs> at this stage. He doesn't really seem to have any sort of specific mission. People just say like, ah, oh, Goldfinger, that guy's up to no good. Bond, why don't you keep an eye on him? And then the way he does that is just to follow him around and piss him off and uh, play with his balls. In From Russia With Love, you have an assassin calling the shots on Bond. Now, Bond is calling the shots on Goldfinger. This begins a beautiful relationship between two guys who just want to screw each other over. And for never touching those binoculars, they sure move around a lot. So Bond's off golfing with Goldfinger, making a bet on some gold or some cash just to try and get in good with him. And Bond's caddy is, like, helping him cheat to win, which seems weird. But also, like, Bond wins. Odd jobs, old hole in the trouser tool. Now, not really, uh... Not really a tool, per se, but, you know, just having a hole in your pocket. But um, I guess you could use it to plant golf balls on the course uh, to avoid penalties. Other things come to mind, but I'll let you use your imagination on that. Also, they still make Schlesinger golf balls if you want to play with them. The company's still around, surprisingly. I don't quite understand Bob's play here, because I thought he was trying to get in good graces with Goldfinger, but then why did he, like... I mean, Goldfinger was cheating, but then Bond cheated back to win. It was just a pride thing. I don't quite get it. So again, part of his uh, mission is to follow Oddjob around the world and piss him off. But in any case, 
Bond ends up having to follow him because he doesn't get any information, but he's put a tracker on Goldfinger. So he starts following him and follows him into another country, follows him through the Alps. So they were the two sisters, the ones who suffered the quote-unquote skin suffocation with the gold paint, and then her sister who was there to revenge her. And I thought it was interesting that, again, like for each of these female characters, like all of them had their own mission, but here comes in James Bond, right? And then, oh no, he's getting shot at by a girl with a rifle, and then he meets with the girl with the rifle and he's like, oh, I had sex with your sister and I'd like to have sex with you as well. But instead, he just gets her killed. A sad kill is just odd job snuffing out Tilly masters him with his hat. It was basically like instant, and even stopped the fight with Bond and the Chinese. Bond just felt dejected. That's two for two, Bond. You've 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 gotten two. Actually, the woman in the beginning too. That's three for three on Bond getting women killed. Now, granted, the woman in the beginning was an assassin trying to kill him, but still, Bond's got issues in this one. So many blonde girls. Jill and Tilly Masterson were blonde girls. Uh, all the pilots were blonde girls, all the stuntmen they used for the distance scenes, they put blonde wigs on. It's just crazy. So many blonde people. We get to see uh, part of Odd Jobs. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, what's it called? The gold smuggling operation where he um, he's actually made the frame of his car out of solid gold to smuggle it across borders. And uh, yeah, we're treated to a lovely scene where there's a, a nice old lady flinging around her machine gun. <laughs> and that's what it's all to about. That's how you protect your gold smuggling operations, people. You don't want goons. You don't want anything else. Just give an old lady a machine gun and let her do her job. Can I point out how crazy it is to ship a car via plane? The plane they use is a real one, too. But you'd think that like the Cheech and Chong gold car Orc sends over would have been like way too heavy. It's made of gold. On the topic of cars, I was really intrigued by the fact that they f- both flew the cars to Austria. But then it makes me wonder if it's so easy to fly a car to Austria, why wouldn't they just fly the Rolls Royce to the US? It's just crazy how much richer the rich were back then. Let's just find a way to ship cars. We don't even do that nowadays when we have the capabilities. Oh wait, no, they did that in like a Fast and the Furious movie. Let's ignore that. Favorite car, the awesome station wagon that they had in Kentucky. In Europe, they had this beautiful Aston Martin and a Rolls Royce, and it's just beautiful watching them drive. And then when they land in Kentucky, like a mom mobile shows up. I think the best henchman slash ally slash love interest in this movie is Pussy Galore. Pussy Galore is such a strong female antagonist, not just eye candy. I'm actually pretty sure this is one of the only blonde girls in this movie not to die. She's very knowledgeable, intelligent, successful, tough, and even has a will of her own. She's got agency. It seemed like they were on the right track in a few ways. Unfortunately, it was kind of undermined by, you know, Bond himself. This character type agrees so well with Goldfinger's clear persistence in solely dealing with businessmen and businesswomen. She was fantastic, had skills, didn't take crap from Bond. He gets knocked out, wakes up on a plane being catered to by Pussy Galore and uh, more of Goldfinger's staff. Favorite villain moment. This one's a bit obscure, but for me, it was when the flight attendant on 
Pussy Glores, like, was asked to keep an eye on James Bond while he freshened up. Who uh, are just giving him real five-star service on this private airline. First off, they're very nice villains for bringing along his suitcase. But what makes it my favorite moment is that the flight attendant uses peepholes to keep an eye on him. I'm terrified enough that there's one peephole into a bathroom, but two? Bond, Bond gets good service when he gets captured. Is that an upgraded feature of this plane? Remember back in Dr. No where he stayed at the really good hotel? Now this one? Yeah, does him okay. When they're not spying on James Bond, why do they need all those peoples? Again, I've heard the reference of Pussy Galore, but from Rent, when the character of Angel dresses up as Pussy Galore for his other Halloween or New Year's. So it was interesting to find out that Pussy Galore was a pilot. Um, and it was interesting that for each of the um, so-called Bond girls, um, each of them were actually career women. They they do kind of put it in that, uh, well, actually, like my job function isn't that I'm a sex worker for Goldfinger. It's that like I'm his pilot and I'm really damn good at my job or like when uh, the sister um, shows up and she's um, trying to take her revenge and James is like kind of like trying to poo-poo her uh, shooting skills and he's like well you tried to shoot me and she's like well actually I was aiming for the other guy so I mean like they did give women um, a bit more of ability to push back so, I mean, like, they, they tried. It wasn't, like, a complete, like, they're only here to be pretty. So I give them that credit. As far as Bond girls, I really do like the woman from the beginning, who unfortunately we don't really see for long before she dies via um, gold paint for some reason. But this movie has probably the most iconic Bond girl in the series, Pussy Galore. <laughs> I really like this actress, and I really actually like her character quite a bit, but it's not just her name that's problematic. James keeps calling her Pussy. Ooh, ooh, hang on. A bit hot under the collar here. Anyone see me in the Pussy Patrol Pilots? Oh, wait, that sounds awful. Pussy Patrol Pilots? Can I say that? That is technically what they are, aren't they? It's like, you know, it's Pussy Galore's Pilots? And they patrol? Is that right? So there's a scene where Goldfinger takes James Bond to his like ranch or something. It's like one of his homes. And you have, is it Q and M who are stationed outside along the fence? Now at this point, this is where we get a lot of the um, the MI, MI6 or agents. Yeah, is it MI6 or the CIA? I don't know. There are some agents who are tracking bombs and they're, they're tracking down uh, one of the gangsters who left Goldfinger's thing by accident. and. But they're using the goal, they're using the theme, the music. It's really good effects. This is just where you, you really know that it's such a good thing. It works so well. And it's why this movie is so iconic. It's because you watch this in the cinema, you watch it at home on a Saturday evening or a Saturday day or a Sunday, some point, you know, just eating your tea, watching Goldfinger. You're never going to forget the music to this film. And they just use it to such good effect. It's just absolute joy absolute joy and it's why this is one of the most well-remembered Bond films out there it's just so iconic this may be the only film where the villain keeps Bond alive for a viable reason to throw off Felix Leader and the CIA 
Goldfinger realizes that he needs to show that things are normal and that James Bond is just being James Bond. So what does he do? He offers him alcohol and women and per- literally parades them in front of these two guys who are spying in on the scene. And when they see Pussy Galore and her purple, like, I don't know, pantsuit, but that has like the V cut. Ironically, that's actually what I'm kind of wearing. It's, it's funny because they see her and they see how she's dressed, right? Because like two seconds before that, they mention, oh, hey, you need to change into something that's more appropriate because we need to set it up to make it look like you're just on a date with James Bond. And so she goes and changes and whatnot. When she like walks back and she's in her purple, the two spy masters like see her and they're like, oh, James is just being James. Like, dude, dude, that could have really just messed up your entire please rescue me. Because of all the scenes in Kentucky, I ended up making a mint julep after watching this movie. I really like Honor Blackman in this movie as Pussy Galore. I thought she was fantastic in this role. And I feel like her character was really underserved by just that one scene, you know, in the barn. It's like literally set up where the only reason why Pussy Galore changes her mind is because she got a good screw with James Bond. So, I am proposing that James Bond's best tool is his tool. Just saying. Uh, In the novels, she was a lesbian who led an all-female acrobatic team named the Cement Mixers. I'm so glad they changed it. She knows judo, she shows it off, but is eventually a victim of James Bond's casual sexual assault. Okay, so we have to get to it, right? Here's the scene where Pussy Galore is supposed to be showing Bond around the ranch or whatever. He's found out what the the mission is, is they're going to use the sleeping gas from Pussy Galore's planes and it's going to knock out everyone in the town so that they can just waltz right into Fort Knox. One thing I would change about this movie. I've bit my tongue for a bit so far, but in this movie, the lack of respect towards women is just cringeworthy. When Bond is canoodling with a girl in Miami and another agent comes up, he slaps her ass and turns to her and says, say goodbye. This is man talk. Um, There's a pretty problematic scene in this movie that unfortunately kind of knocks it down a bit in my ranking. And Bond sexually assaults Pussy Galore, a lesbian, codified in the books. I don't think she is quite uh, blatantly codified in the movie, but in the books it's explicit. Uh, He sexually assaults an evil lesbian because this is the 60s when, ooh, lesbians, they, they they must be evil because they don't want to have sex with us. And he sexually assaults her so good that she becomes straight and a good guy. Ugh. Ugh. Add to that the scene in the barn with Pussy Galore. To be blunt, that's basically rape. And that's not okay. I know it's the 60s. I know it's a manly movie. But it really irks me that they thought these were okay things to portray. Because, you know, she seems pretty much immune to his charm. It's even sort of implied that she's a lesbian. But the fact that Bond kind of quote-unquote wins her over non-consensually uh yeah it's 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 not cool it's uh you know i get that this was made in the 60s but um yeah that was uh definitely one of the low moments in um the series rest in peace honor blackman now guys one of perhaps the most romantic scenes in cinema occurs in this movie And it's where James Bond is in his prison cell, under Goldfinger's Kentucky Ranch. Which is very small. And there's a guard outside of his cell. And Bond 
walks to the window and smiles at the guard, just giving a little playful flirt, and then he walks away. You've been asked to guard the prison cell. And then he walks back again and kind of gives him a little wink, and then he walks away, and the guard just sits there. I'm gonna throw bones back, it's a small prison cell. And then he comes back again and he throws him a little kiss, a little kissy-poo, and then he walks away. There's, a, there's not much going on there. And then he comes back again and he's like, I heart you, sign language, I heart you to the guard. And then he walks away. And then he comes back and he gives him a little flirty wave. And then he goes down instead of walking away. Like he's a mime doing the elevator trick. It's just real cute. Bond flirting with the guard. Bond can flirt with everybody. It's just what he does. So you've been asked to guard it. And you look through the little hole. And you can't see the person you're supposed to be guarding. They suddenly disappear. What do you do? That's right. You open the door and walk in there all by yourself without raising the alarm. Then the guard comes in and Bond's hanging out on the ceiling. Only to have a, uh, a Bond fall on your head. <laughs> Knocks him out and escapes. Oh, man, these, these henchmen, you know. Uh, Goldfinger's got to, he's got to go to a new recruitment agency. These, these guys just aren't cutting the mustard at all. Until he gets captured again and then they put like six guards watching him. How James Bond always seems to be within earshot when the bad guys decide it's the perfect time to explain every detail of their diabolical plan. How convenient was it that Bond sticks his head in the little model display at the exact moment the bad guys given his entire plan to the mob? An example in this movie is Goldfinger explaining to his associate how great his Grand Slam plan is. <laughs> oh, yes. We get to... We get to uh, Odd Jobs. Odd Jobs? Not Odd Jobs. Yeah, plans. Yeah, Goldfinger. We get to his home in Baltimore, uh, which is where all bad guys hang out, I assume. You know, I don't know why. Maybe Baltimore's a naturally evil place. I've never been there. Don't know what it's like. Eventually, Goldfinger gathers up a bunch of mafiosos that he owes money to and is like, all right, here's the deal. I could give you a million dollars right now, or I can give you 10 million tomorrow when my bank opens. Um, but yes, he's throwing a, a, a party for generic gangster types. The scene with all of the gangsters is the funniest, serious moment in the film. You know, it's really good fun. Nobody is upset with anybody until after Goldfinger enters. Then Goldfinger busts out this massive map, followed by an equally large diorama of everything that you literally just saw on the map. What was the point in having both of those? And the thing I love about this whole scene is that there's just weird background dialogue. Like, I don't know if you're not supposed to be able to hear it clearly, but the, the, the gangsters just are constantly yelling the weirdest shit like, bikes aren't open on Saturday. It's just like, hey, what's the idea here? Hey, wise guy, what's this, a merry-go-round? It's just like, yep, here's a group of very generic uh, Italian gangsters. And they're all hanging around in uh, Goldfinger's uh, ranch in Baltimore. You know, as you do. It's really funny. He, he, <laughs> he pushes buttons and like the pool table flips over and one's like, hey, what's with this trick pool table? And then the windows and the doors close and the lights go down and one's like, I don't like being cooped up here like this. And the one's like, hey, what's that map doing there? Hey, what's going on here? The floor? Uh, I don't like this. And then one of them, my favorite is, he goes, what is this? A merry-go-round? <laughs> the, the room gets pumped full of gas and they're all going, hey, what's the big idea? <laughs> This weird, weird background dialogue. I think maybe you just weren't supposed to be able to hear it clearly. First, he kills all the mobsters, smart move, except for the one which he crushes in the car. The end of the scene still confuses me. Did he really just use the coward as a means to escape? Why did he betray the guys who wanted to help him? And why murder the coward separately? Other than giving the viewer an update of the scheme, there's no real reason for this scene to exist. 
<laughs> oh, no, I don't even know what that accent was, but yeah, just imagine uh, classic Al Pacino uh, or something, it's Italian gangsters, just just so you do it, gangsters, it's just so funny. <laughs> They're all just like giving like their own little one-liners as they die. Oh, so good. Cracks me up. <laughs> you know, there are much easier ways to get that gold out of the card that you put in it. That costs money, man. Just dump the body next time. It's easier to remove the gold by hand. You have like a thousand Chinese people in Switzerland. Did anyone else notice that that scene where Goldfinger explains to all the mob bosses his entire plan and then just murders them all? What was the point of that? I mean, I get it. I know that from a plot perspective, it makes sense uh, for the audience to understand what's going on. But he didn't really need to make that whole show of it. Nah, maybe that's just an ego thing. I don't know. The best part of this movie overall and the most remembered is definitely the laser scene. Favorite gadget or weapon? Goldfinger's laser. It glows. It makes funny noises. It is so over the top. And it makes not just one, but two appearances in this movie. Probably my favorite uh, villain moment is after Bond has been captured and he's tied to a table and there's a laser. Essentially the threat of him getting cut in half by a laser. I think it goes without saying that my favorite moment is the laser table. Uh, that part where, you know, Bond's been captured, he's tied up, Goldfinger is monologuing, and there's this industrial laser that's slowly cutting up towards Bond, you know, threatening to cut him in half. Then, of course, you get Goldfinger's great villain monologue where he's got Bond strapped to a table with a big laser that's going to slice him up nuts first. Um, Goldfinger? Uh, please don't laser my balls. And he's like, do you expect me to talk? And he's like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. And um, Goldfinger tells him that he expects him to die. Which is just a classic line. So good. No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Is said with such a jocular affirmation. I love this line. I still don't know why Bond was kept alive. Everything about that scene is so great. It's still, I think, one of the best villain scenes in the entire series. It's a classic Bond line, and it's classic for a reason. It's It really puts in perspective who this villain is. Like, he just goes off and he has a small conversation while Bond is about to get cut in half by this laser. Eventually, Bond manages to convince Goldfinger that ooh, maybe he knows more than he thinks he does so maybe you should keep him alive and he's like alright fine and this is where we get our first drop from Bond he says 008 knows everything going on and if I die he'll just replace me do you all know who, who 008 is? his name is Bill that's right I am 008 if 008 knows what Bond knows shouldn't Goldfinger kill 007 then hunt down 008 uh, I have an industrial cutting and engraving laser at work, so I'll point out that none of the scientists are wearing safety goggles or standing behind a shield. Those things can ruin your vision, man! Now, this is where Bond gives uh, Goldfinger a math lesson. Uh, to tell him that you only actually have really two hours to get all this stuff out. We're not going to have enough time. And gold, this is when he then works out that, oh, you're not going to steal the gold. You're going to blow it up with a nuclear explosion. I thought it was crazy the army just let people fly over the base in private planes. I mean, at the time, Fort Knox was the army armor center, but they still had, like, 
anti-aircraft and stuff. Pre-9-11, yo. Now, they say that the point is to um, irradiate all the um, all the gold so that it can't be used for 60 years and basically loses all of its value. But did they say it's going to be a nuclear explosion? Like, it's surely going to melt that gold and fling it to all parts of the, all corners of the earth. Like, that's, that's, that's not a good idea. I'm just telling you this now, Goldfinger. Oh, not a good idea. After this, we get a scene, you know, they knock the whole town out, Goldfinger's folks drive right up to the bank, they cut it open, they go inside, they put a nuke up. It's a really long scene without any dialogue, which is kind of cool, actually. Um, oh, now, <laughs> Bond said that gas kills people, and they've just flown over and gassed that entire army base, and that was a lot of people. I think this could be, like, one of the highest Bond counts, people, uh, highest kill counts ever in a Bond film. If all those people are dead, like, I mean, I don't know if it's maybe the gangsters died because they're in the enclosed space and because these army soldiers are outside they might have who knows but I mean Jesus man that was a lot of people to take out in one go and then oh what's this it turns out that the, the, the everybody wasn't knocked out they were just pretending um but so the fact that Pussy Galore is like not only just a career woman but she's actually a career woman in a position of leadership because she has this pilot crew of women who suspiciously look like Fox News anchors because they're all blonde and blue eyed and she convinces them to like work with her to make sure that the gas is actually non-lethal and so like everybody does like this whole like I don't know I guess like charades of haha I'm gassed out favorite kill uh the fake kill at fort knox when everyone kind of just pretends to be knocked out i totally didn't see that coming because pussy glore was she got such good sex unwanted sex that she became a good guy and switched out the canisters and told the united states military and got the whole town to pretend to be knocked unconscious and to crash their cars into each other and to probably cause some substantial amount of property damage and personal injury so that goldfinger could think his plan was working so that then they could try and stop him and then they like wake up and they're like haha just kidding you're in trouble now that that was a twist that i wasn't actually expecting and um eric eric knows about this about me i have a curse where i guess things in advance makes it very much not fun when I'm trying to watch movies. So the fact that I was, I was actually able to be surprised um, was a very good thing. Find out that the reason Bond managed to foil all the plots and all those army soldiers didn't die was because Pussy Galore switched out the canisters for something harmless and all those army people just pretended to fall over. Then she informed Washington of the whole thing so that the army knew to fall over and pretend to be passed out and then to come and raid Fort Knox to protect the gold. But my point is, this wasn't Bond's doing. Pussy Galore became a good guy and saved the day. Now, Goldfinger is using some really cool tech to get in to Fort Knox. <laughs> Lasers and all sorts. Like, Q, Q, man, you need to take notes. You need to get some of this technology over the bomb. Oh, Goldfinger, what are you doing? Don't, don't strap the professional international spy to the nuclear device which is the entire crux of your plot like just shoot him in the head what, what, what's the need why would you let him live for an extra five minutes really use your brain gold finger come on pull your finger out your ass One of the things I really do like about this one is that Bond is constantly having his ass handed to him. Like, if you'd only ever seen this movie, you'd probably think, like, he's the worst agent ever. What is he doing? James Bond sucks in this movie. 
but I do kind of like that, you know, he just kind of, he rolls with the punches, he doesn't give up, and he kind of makes it work. He, he pulls through at the last second every time. Oh man, that, that, that throw from Objob from up on the stairs with his hat, that was awful. <laughs> just like, just listily lazed. <laughs> just went slightly off to the left past Bond. It's <laughs> just like, what? Come on, man, you managed to hear that statue from miles away earlier and chop its head off. And then you just sort of go, yeah. I love the death of Objob. Bond lucks out, but still, he realizes he can't beat him physically. I mean, Bond threw a brick of gold at him and didn't even flinch. But uh, knowing that that hat had like some metal in it, that was pretty cool. My favorite kill um, is an odd job hat kill, but it's not one where odd job throws the hat. It's where odd job goes to retrieve his hat after Bond's thrown his hat back at him, and he gets electrified by his own hat, essentially. So at the end, uh, Bond barely survives his fight with Oddjob. He manages to electrocute him. Uh, anyway, Oddjob, you got to go do the electric boogaloo now. And then he goes for the bomb and it's locked. So he's trying to figure out a way to open it. And he ends up like like taking these gold bars and just kind of like bashing them against the lock. One of my favorite moments of this movie is the bomb at the end. Honorable mention goes to the bomb at the very end. And then at the end of the thing, he's trying to figure out how to defuse the bomb, and he can't even figure that out, right? And Felix Slider has to reach in at the last minute and stop the timer at 007. At the end of this film, we see typical Bond. Bond does all the legwork, but Felix is the real hero, conveniently stopping the timer on 007 and safely disarming the dirty bomb. What would have happened if Felix Leader had not been there? Eh, we probably wouldn't have any more Bond films. Present day movies cause so much anxiety. Do I cut the red wire? Do I cut the blue wire? Thank you, 1960s, for just having an on-off switch. Now, disregarding the bomb gets stopped exactly at 007 on the clock. I think they use this later on in Octopussy. The the timer stops at seven seconds. So, of course, it's got a 007 on there. And as a kid, I always thought that was like the most clever thing, you know. (laughs) The fact that Bond can't figure out the bomb because he's a spy, not an ordnance disposal technician, that's pretty cool. Oh, and there's also a switch, just like an off switch. That was pretty funny. And then, of course, you know, after all that, Bond's back on the plane. Uh, There's the first of the two gold-based villains, the other being a man with a golden gun. But you know what? Goldfinger has his own golden gun. So take that, Scaramanga. He escapes by dressing up as a general and pretending to be a good guy. And then uh, Goldfinger pops out of nowhere with a golden gun. And then at the end, Goldfinger's on the plane. And Second, him dressing up as a general just in case the plan goes wrong, that was pretty smart of him. And he like had a backup plan to get away, too. And then they talked about earlier, if you shoot the gun on the plane, blow a hole and suck me out. And so they shoot a gun and it blows a hole and Goldfinger gets sucked out. And then... And there's that ridiculous scene where he fires the bullet hits a window and then he gets sucked out the window makes no sense but it's amazing and it makes me laugh every time tell me have you ever watched ultraman because this entire crashing plane sequence is some ultraman level stuff right here the jet from kentucky takes off and crashes into the ocean so again has anyone seen the map i guess they were supposed to be going to cuba but you have to cross over so much land first pussy galore and james bond parachute to the ground have sex on the hillside because she's into him now. So why did Pussy Galore change? Because uh, Bond had sex very high. Hashtag me too anyone? <laughs> so Bond is proving that all problems in the world, no matter how bad, can just be proved 
by having sex with a hot woman associated with the bad guys. If there was one thing I could change about this movie, it would be to not have Bond essentially sexually assault pussy galore. Keep it in your pants, Bond. James Bond sucks in this movie. He got three women killed and he sexually assaulted another. I, I like James Bond movies. I watched him as a kid. Uh, this movie was on the other day and I like made my cousin leave the room when that scene happened because it's just, it is a horrible, horrible way to end a movie that, that has so many fun moments and then you just have this big, awful black stain on it. This movie's iconic and there's, there's a lot of things I really like about it, but it just entirely falls apart for me in the end. I think Goldfinger has a lot of wonderful moments. I think it is a significant film in the franchise's history, and I think it is very unpleasant to watch in from a modern perspective. So, yay! And I'm looking forward to watching Quantum Solace because apparently kind of took one of the parallels with the gold paint and used it in a scene where a woman's covered in oil. So I'm, I'm going very interested to see if like that's supposed to be a commentary on the Iraq war and the oil controversy there. Overall, Goldfinger is a classic and it's a must watch. After I rewatch Austin Powers. Let's just hope Org Enterprises isn't planning another heist. Podcasters Assemble Season 003 is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcasters Assemble by looking us up on Twitter at Casters Assemble or joining our Discord server, link in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who was able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for links where you can find them all online. Thank you. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Goldfinger, where's that bad? Putting his golden finger up his pod. <laughs> Don't know where that bit came from. Although the industrial laser. Laser. <laughs> Let's see if my phone will live long enough. Oh, I definitely have golden eye in my notes, not Goldfinger. Oopsies. Goldfinger. There we go. My phone is 1% battery life. I'm recording on my iPad, so I can switch over to reading my notes there. It's just not as convenient. All right, here we go. Nope, my phone already died. Huh. Okay. Open the notes on my iPad. Do do do. Goldfinger. If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including but not limited to movie commentaries ad-free versions of our promo specials extended cuts early access to new episodes behind the scenes clips first access to merchandise blooper reels and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcasters disassembled episodes just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcasters assemble that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash podcasters assemble link in the show notes